I've also experienced failure. And that's the strength that I've got when I talk to leaders. I've been a really good leader and I've been a really bad one. You know, I've been a good coach, good athlete, been a good partner and a bad partner, good dad, bad dad, all with the same intent to do the right thing. How do you define success? That's the thing that makes life fun. The answer to that question isn't static. We see people arrive where they want to get to and they're still not content. You can't have performance without well-being and you can't have well-being without performance. If I want physical well-being, so I'm going to have to perform to get that well-being. The more well I become physically, the better I become. It's the same mentally, it's the same emotionally. They're linked. How do you define how suffering works nicely with ease? I'm forewarned about it now. I know that it's going to be balanced with good stuff happening if I can. I'm loving this conversation. You're listening to another episode of Success with Purpose, where we hold conversations with the most holistically successful people we have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their life-changing events, their perspectives, their mindset, and most importantly, their purpose. I'm Harry Goldberg, host, interviewer, and interrogator of this podcast, father of the most incredible daughter in the world, husband of an incredible woman, and director and empowerment coach at Purpose Advisory. Hope you enjoy this episode, and don't forget to subscribe and like below. Now, let's begin. Matthew Elliott, you have completed in sports professionally, coached elite athletes for over 25 years, and I think it's across three countries, might be more than that as well. You've been a sports commentator, you're a mindset coach, a founder and director of a really exceptional organization called The Change Room, which is how we met. Uh, you've written a book about playing the game of your life, and you're a proud father of four daughters, and I believe a grandfather now too. Grandfather of two with another one just about to arrive in, what is it, six weeks' time. Wow, that's exciting. What I'm really keen to hear more about in your journey is how you've transitioned from a world of, I guess, physical dominance, competition, and from a society's perspective, tribalism, like my team versus yours across yeah. to teaching a prevention, recovery, and leadership approach to whole-of-life well-being and performance. My first question to you is, how do you define success? Yeah, Harry, that's a really interesting question. I, I pondered that because you sent it to me. And the reality with that, that, that word is it's not static in any of our lives. So what was success, Harry, for you when you were 12 last year? Sorry, I shouldn't... Um, I know you've got a two-year-old, so that's probably inappropriate, but it, it, it evolves, doesn't it? So I can answer what it is for me now, but I can also answer for what it was for me, you know, 15 years ago. So that's the thing that makes life fun, is, is that you're, the answer to that question isn't static. Otherwise, it'd be, we see people arrive where they want to get to and they're, they're still not content. So I know that it's not you know, it's not a set set in foundation thing. But at the moment, if you ask me, well, what is your definition of it now? The word ease is what springs to mind. That's not sitting around my feet up doing nothing and, you know, burning incense. It's, it's being at ease with who I am, being at ease that occasionally adversity is going to show up and knowing that I can handle it, being at ease that I'm going to be in challenging situations and also I'm also going to be at ease with receiving affluence as well. So that's that's how what I would define success as being just at the moment. And what was it for you 15 years ago? 
it would have been an external thing. And it's funny that the coaching that I did with individual high-level people kind of taught me this. It would have been external things like bringing success to other individuals, bringing success to organisations and winning things. Um, so, yeah, but when you ask people why you want to do that enough, so some people will say, well, I, I want to own an organisation that turns over this amount of money, and I go, why? And then they'll come up with another answer. But if you ask why enough, eventually, is well, I just want to be happy. I always say to them, well, why don't you just start doing that now and, you know, enjoy the journey a little bit more. And we've all met that person. I've been that person as well. Mm. Look, I, I love I love that definition. I love how you've described it as well, uh, especially the uh, the reasonably, at least from everyone who I define as successful that I've been able to speak with, uh, that shift from the external, impressing other people, being able to show how great you are, making sure that you get all these accolades and that you have all of this acceptance by people and you feel this kind of superficial sense of belonging and shifting it to uh, being able to just enjoy life and you use the word ease ultimately uh, and the, the ease of who I am, the ease of handling adversity, with receiving affluence, being ready for challenges. What what does what does that ease look like? Or what does it feel like? How would you describe it to someone? Well, again, it's like anything in life, Harry. You know, like it's easier to sit on the lounge than it is to exercise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hear me say this when I speak. It's easier to go and get a Macca's than it is to cook a healthy home-cooked meal. So saying I want to be at ease isn't as easy as having the shits or, you know, or as being a victim. So it's it's something that you have to work at and be committed to do. You know, it's it's a state that you need to be, again, my ease is different to yours. So it's a state that I need to be conscious of that even in a situation where I don't agree with the person or I don't agree with the behaviours or what they're doing is, is that I want to be a person that can be in control of myself and that doesn't mean I'm happy with what that person's saying or the way they're behaving, but I, I can be in a state where I'm at ease. I understand made similar mistakes in my life and not be too judgmental. Yeah, okay. So you found, I'm guessing you found that a form of suffering that you've often had is uh, feeling this strong need to judge others and judge yourself. Yeah. It sounds like we're conditioned that way, Harry. Come on, you know we all, even the education system. Thank goodness it's advanced a little bit since I've gone to school, but not tremendously. Mm-hmm. And you know our whole conditioning from the youngest age, even when we're in that, you know that state of mind where we're in theta between zero and seven, where we believe everything. Right, we believe Santa Claus's rule. We believe the Easter Bunny. Well, we also believe to be successful, you need to achieve all this stuff. But, we have Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy conditioned out of us. Mm-hmm. We don't have that other condition conditioning, you know, removed from our our consciousness. And it's the way we're educated. You know, you need to have this piece of paper, and you know, I've got a piece of paper that, to achieve this to get to here. So you need to do all these other things. And I believe in sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't bad, but we've I believe we've just channeled it slightly in the wrong direction. We can do all the same things, mm-hmm. but for different reasons yeah because I, I guess we're we're taught that our success is how we perform compared to other people as opposed to how we perform against ourselves 
That's yeah. certainly the way that I was taught when I was growing up. Yeah, and we become experts in other things, other people, the things we do, you know, that all the stuff externally, but how many people are experts that you know are in, experts in themselves? Mm. You know, and that was something, you know, when I sort of stumbled across that question, I went, yeah, no, I've got it covered. And then I started to, to really ponder it. And you know, people don't check in on themselves. They don't ask themselves that question. They, so all our expertise is external to ourselves. Mm. But that's, we've got this thing, you know, this health crisis going on that we call mental health. If people had self-awareness, the amount of mental health, I believe, would drop by 80%. But, you know, I know because I've had my challenges with it. And the foundation of the the situation that I had, you know, it was a, it's hard for an Australian male to admit to it, but, you know, you have a relationship breakdown and you're not allowed to let everyone know that you're shattered by it. But my lack of self-awareness is what made the problem last years longer than it needed. Mm. And you, you mentioned, you mentioned this term of suffering as suffering, which is kind of an essential part of life. Yeah. Uh, and you said it's not something which you want to avoid, but at the same time, your definition of success is ease. And I, I think back to this image, I don't know where I saw it ages ago, of someone working out, lifting weights, and it says suffering. And then there's another picture of someone who's overweight, sitting on the couch, watching TV, and it also says suffering. And, yeah. <laughs> and so how do, you, how do you define the difference between, or how do you define how suffering works nicely with ease? Yeah, I don't want to be ambiguous again, Harry, but again, suffering for some of us is, you know, like you might love jumping out of the, the idea of jumping out of a plane with a piece of curtain on your back. You know what I mean? That'd not, be not suffering. Style, for me. But I know what you mean. That, that would be, That'd be suffering for me, right? So again, let's just make, make us all aware that it's not the same thing. But when you get my hair color, mate, you actually understand that it's, it's a part of, you know, the human experience. And what I mean by I'm not, I'm forewarned about it now. I know that it, you know. I know that it's going to be balanced with good stuff happening if I can, if I really make that my intention. But when suffering happens, it doesn't mean that it's happening to me. It doesn't mean that it's you know it's something that I need to take personally. That's what my ease with suffering is, mm -hmm. and I know that if I can focus on what I want in life and the direction I want to go. There's a time frame to most suffering. And I know that I can make that shorter by not being positive, but by being useful during that situation, but still maintaining, look, these are the things I want in life. Okay. So being useful, but also being focused on what you actually want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's difficult. If, if you're in suffering and you're focused on the suffering rather than, I knew this this challenge was going to come, but if you're just focusing on the suffering, it's very hard to focus on where you want to go as well, because mm -hmm. you talk your your whole mind is you kind of know what you do want, but your whole focus is on what you're experiencing or don't want. So, yeah, it's it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do, and when when the dung hits the fan, I still struggle with it because it's not easy. It's like I still struggle going to the gym and lifting weights, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not easy, but it's, I know that if I can remain focused and go through that challenge and, and bear that load, 
you know, there's a there's a result on the other side of it that could be super beneficial. Yeah, okay. So before we keep diving into this and, and attempting to identify it and clarify it, because I'm, I'm loving this conversation, uh, maybe let's give some some credence and maybe expand a little bit on your journey. Uh, yeah. What, what's been your journey, maybe, maybe even from when you were growing up, like the the growing up version of Matt up until yeah, today? You know what? I've had an extraordinary childhood and it was extraordinary. I was born on Thursday Island, which is in the Torres Straits. Um, and my father was a, a ship pilot. My mother was a nurse up there and I was the youngest of four children. And then I grew up in a place called Townsville in North Queensland and in a, a, a kind of isolated suburb that was a, surrounded by a national park, but about, you know, 20 boys, two years either side of my age. So, you know, we had the best time ever growing up. You know, it was back in the days where there were no mobile phones and your time to go home was when the streetlights went on. So, and surrounded by nature, surrounded by fun, love playing sport. We all love playing sports. So it was just, you know, 12 months of sport, whatever we felt like doing at that time and a whole lot of other adventures out into the national park where there were, you know, every type of, you know, some of the highest density of bird life in Australia lived just near where, or bred just near where I lived and a whole lot of other animals, some not so nice sometimes, occasionally you know, I had to run away from snakes and things like that. And, um, fortunately, we weren't far enough, you know, too far north that we had to deal with cro crocodiles, but you know, it was an extraordinary life. And it was one that, yeah. So when you ask what, you know, about my progression through life, it kind of happened by accident. I didn't really walk around life with a real purpose other than, you know, to experience sport at a high level. I would have loved to have been a rock and roll singer, you know, when I was a young kid, because my dad was a singer and cut a record you know, way, way back in the in the forties, I would have loved to have done that. And I, there's a whole lot of other things that you'd like to do, but I was luck, lucky enough to experience some things that came my way. You know, through university and yeah, and yeah, and then ended up being a. I didn't mean to be a footy player. I came to Sydney to play cricket, and I played first grade cricket when I first got here. I I wanted to be a better footy player, but as a kid, I was a better cricketer and played you know, state cricket for underage teams and things like that. So I came here to play, well, Sydney to play cricket, but um, got dragged sideways into playing footy again, which I loved. As I said, played it my whole life and it wasn't a conscious decision. To, when you're 19 and you first moved to Sydney and you're having the best, I was a youth worker then. I'm school teacher trained, PE teacher trained, but never taught a day in my life. But, you know, the only reason I became a youth worker was because way back in the dark ages, mate, when I graduated uni, they you didn't have a they sent you to a school. You got appointed to a school. Right. So I was either go to Tamworth or come to Sydney for fifteen k extra a year. So when you you know twenty, you're not twenty year old male. You're not. There's no decision to make there. So I ended up in Sydney as a youth worker and got the opportunity to play footy and. It, I just sort of, yeah, as I say, I call my life, maybe my second book will be Life by Accident because I, I didn't really mean to become a professional footy player. I didn't really mean to become a coach. I guess coming out of that, you know, the, the stuff that you described about the business that, 
you know, I've been able to create and the things that have been able to do with that, that, that has been probably the first real conscious decisions I've made for a very, very long time. Mm. And so that, that shift from footy to being a coach, was there yep. an injury in that, in that journey as well? Yeah, yeah. I retired at 28. Um, I guess playing cricket and football at the same time for a while and, you know, the way that um, surgeons did knee surgery in those days probably wasn't as quite as advanced as they do it now. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, our team doctor, who's a friend and still a mate, um, said, you know, you, you need to retire. And I said, no, I'm not retiring. And then I kind of worked out that he was right and I was wrong. Um, that's not always easy to admit when you're 28 years old, but, um, and I immediately got an opportunity to come on the coaching staff, got an offer from the head coach at the time and yeah, went to the UK shortly after that and got a job as a head coach, um, at the age of 32, which I didn't realize was that young at the time, but yeah, looking back in retrospect, you sort of go, wow, is that really what happened? But yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. So it was accident, 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 and then something tweaked, which made a conscious decision for change room to found the change. Well, room. what, what tweaked was I got the sack and, um, I started working in the media and, um, I don't, I, I was looking in 2007, uh, I got really lucky. I, I, I read a book. Uh, it's a long story, but I read a book by Deepak Chopra in 2003 and I was a complete atheist um, and it really impacted me because it made sense. But it was all woo-woo then, right? Like going to the new age section in the bookstore in those days was almost, you know, God, worse than going to the porn section and, you know, like in a, in a, in a shop on the corner. So... Um, but it really fascinated me, his approach. It's not woo-woo anymore, right? It's it's you know, quantum physics and, you know, the understanding of um, the nature of humans is far greater. But I guess that sp spiked my interest and I got to meet Deepak in 2007 um, and still sort of keep contact with him and through the publisher of Hay House, a guy called Leon Maxson, who's a close friend and and mentor of mine, um, I got exposed to a lot of stuff. Some of it was not my my go, mm -hmm. but some of it, you know, the guys like Wayne Dyer, God rest his soul, and um, Brian Weiss and you know, Jay Dispenser these days, as well as Louise Hayes. You know, just meeting people like that um, kind of opened my, my mind a little bit more to the fact that there's a little bit more going on than your parents meeting, appropriating and you showing up on the planet. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I then got to understand how that can impact people's lives positively. And, you know, I started off as a youth worker. My mum was a matron at a, you can't say it anymore, but was called a crippled children's home in North Queensland. And so my dad was the footy coach and, you know, I was, I was a Migolo, the only white fella in a black line in the, in the footy team I played with. So I, 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 um, I got exposed to some amazing stuff as a kid. So like caring for other people was, I mean, just the way I was brought up. So that sort of really linked in really well, that learning and those those accidental opportunities. If I told you how I met Leon, I mean, I'll tell you that it's in the first 
or the introduction of the book was quite weird, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, um, and so that opened my mind basically, and and that then gave me an understanding of mixing. Sorry, there's a long answer to your question, no, but it's, I, you it's mix really that cool. in with when you mix it in with high, what we call high performance approach. So that's my background is in high performance in university and then as an athlete and then as a coach. But it's a trick word, Harry. Mm. It's about human performance. Whatever works for an athlete, what they call cutting edge, high performance, whatever works for an athlete will work for you and everyone listening to this. Um, but people don't think they've got access to it. And I guess I've learned that my genuine talent isn't about coming up with the knowledge or the processes, but I, my genuine talent is giving people access to high performance approach or human performance approach and access to what people consider as woo woo. Because I, I've got a, you know, when I'm speaking to coal miners or police or military people about some of the stuff that like topics like meditation and mindfulness or or quantum or the quantum realm, I can make it a little bit more understandable than some of the amazing authors and people that are at the leading edge of that that expertise. Yeah. Okay. So you're ultimately bringing uh, those who are who are who are right at the leading edge and dispensing this amazing information that most people just can't access because they're not ready for it. You're kind of giving it to them in a in a way that they can take it. Like you give your child an amazing meal and they're not yet able to work out how to use their knife and fork because they haven't had the same experiences that you have. And so you cut there it you up go. for them and then it's bite-sized pieces. They can get it. There you go. I'm going to use that, Harry. That's a good way of putting it, mate. Go, you know, go for it. It's, All it's, yours now. It's, it's then understanding the audience, mate. No, that's that was fantastic. I love it. I'm, when I said I'm going to use it, you think I'm joking? I'm, <laughs> no, I don't think I'm, you're I'm joking. I, I think I'm flattered. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's again understanding your audience. You know, like if I'm in a really male dominant, dominated testosterone, you know, field environment, I'm going to use swear words, mm-hmm. and you know, say stuff like, "Who made sitting with your eyes closed woo woo? Who did that?" Like we put people in ice baths to recover their body. How are you going to recover your brain? Mm. You know, how are you going to switch it off? This, this has been done for, you know, first Australians were doing it 10,000 years ago. They didn't call it meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think the Asian, you know, think Chinese are dumb? Of course they're not. They're, <laughs> they're leading edge in their approach to life. Why would they do something that for 10,000 years that didn't work? Mm. So when you present it in that way, you at least spark curiosity. And then what I do then, because I've studied all the science behind it, I give people the science behind it and, you know, show them, you know, the hormonal impacts of doing stuff like this, what it does for your brain, you know, what it does for your accuracy, how it helps recovery, you know, how it helps longevity. That gets people's interest, I can tell you. Yeah. As soon as, as, soon as you're giving them what they actually want, or you're giving them an answer to what they want and they're interested in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, that's that's part of it, but again, you've got to you've got to you've got to give people that pathway into understanding it. Mm-hmm. And you know, not to make it something that they need to actually have, you know, a degree in quantum physics to really understand. I love that. Because we've all all the stuff I explain, we're we're experiencing now. We mm-hmm. you experience today. 
So it's not, I make people understand that as well. You know all this, so I'm just going to explain it to you in a different way. Mm. Cool. And so then we we talk about this journey and you've been a competitor, a coach, uh, a leader, a spouse, a parent, and you've done all of these at different levels of success, ultimately. And you're talking about that definition of success being about the ease at which you handle adversity and challenges and successes and affluence. How do you apply that definition to each of those different roles in life? So to anyone listening who's in any number of roles, which they have, how do we apply that definition to what they're experiencing? Let me first tell you that I've also experienced failure. And that's the strength that I've got when I talk to leaders. I've been a really good leader and I've been a really bad one, all with the same intent to do the right thing. You know, I've been a good coach, good athlete, and I've, I've done, I've been a good partner and a bad partner, mm -hmm. good dad, bad dad. So, I, you know, and again, none of it with bad intent, none of it, you know, for, for any other reason than trying to make other people's lives better. So I understand what failure feels like and looks like. So I, I, you know, some people, you know, we learn by contrast, apparently the human species, you know, we know what fast is because we know what really slow is hot and cold, mm -hmm. you know, and there's the two ways that go with that is, is either we either learn through awareness or suffering. Harry, don't put your hand on the hot plate. <laughs> what, like, like this? You sure? Yes. Like, like this? There, okay. there you go. Well, you just, you just use my model of learning, <laughs> but you know, so I don't, I think that again, I, rather than use the word success in all those areas that you asked me, Harry, it's more about awareness. And you know, I've, I've met people that most of their awareness has been generated by being successful. I guess I've got that contrast that I've experienced extreme success and being so fortunate and so grateful to have that. Um, and I've experienced extreme failure and I'm so grateful and so fortunate to have that as well. But I, I, I understand it. So when I'm talking to, let's say, a, you know, a, you know, a first responder who's in extreme difficulty, you know, that, I actually, I don't, under, I can, I'll never say to anyone, I understand what you're going through because when you actually understand what they do or have an insight into what they're going through, you go, oh, I don't really want to understand that. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is I do know what failure feels like. I do know what adversity looks like and feels like so that, you know, that you can sort of join people in that journey out of there or, or support them. If, it's, if you've, all you've experienced in life is amazing success and I go and speak to people like that, yeah, I, I would probably be a little bit like them sometimes. You know, how, do you, how do you relate to what I'm even, even you know, what I'm experiencing? Mm. Does I've, that make sense? It, it, does, it does make sense. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that everything's on a scale and it sounds like what you're referring to is the ability to have empathy rather than just sympathy because we've all experienced some level of failure and like our lives have both been blessed. We've both had our challenges. We've both had experiences. You probably had far greater failures and frustrations and challenges than I have almost certainly. Uh, but our experiences are, are, are completely blessed compared to 
the vast majority of people in, in a lot of areas of the world. And so, I mean, but at the end of the day, you'd still be able to help them. You'd still be able to support them because you can connect somehow at their level. Well, after connection, you've got to have the tools. Mm. Let, let me go back to a little point you made there because one of my new big words I use is balance. And I've got to tell you that empathy needs to be balanced with sympathy. Okay. Because, yeah, well, empathy is I feel your pain. You've got to be careful with that, you know, because, you know, that whereas sympathy is the, I, you know, I really, I really feel bad for what you're experiencing. Can you, you know, I feel bad for you that you're experiencing this. You got to be, you got to get the balance of that right because if you just use only empathy, you end up and you're working in an area that you want to support and help people. You you, you got to be very careful. E equally, you can't be just use sympathy. You've got to drift between the two, but not go too far either way. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. And, and it, it doesn't yeah. sound like the balance is 50-50. Uh, I'd imagine the balance is relative to whatever circumstance you're in. I'm, I'm just going to sit back and you know, let you answer all the questions. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're, you're inspiring this. I'm, I'm just trying to find it a little bit with more clarity because it's, I mean, I've, I've, uh, what you're referring to is woo-woo. I mean, I've, I've explored a lot of it. And even had a friend of mine who was a monk for 10 years uh, on an earlier episode, episode three. And he started, he started talking about how he could literally feel people's pain without them even saying anything, without them expressing pain, just by simply sitting next to them or being near them. He can actually feel the pain and in some sense know what that was, like some kind of domestic dispute or some kind of frustration with a relationship, those types of things. And while that sounds woo-woo, I've had personal experiences which are similar to that, which then, which this is this kind of idea of balancing empathy versus sympathy, like I'm really curious by, because in, in some, like in some circumstances I've been in, I, I don't even, like I don't even need to know the details of their situation to be able to feel their pain. And I've been able to find that feeling their pain, just simply being there and being present with them. Uh, actually allows a lot of it to dissipate. And then sure, then you can share a whole bunch of tools and resources that helped you have change in your life or that you've seen have others have change in theirs. But like where does, like if someone's listening to this and, uh, uh, I'm in, and they're thinking to themselves, I'm inspired by what Matt's done. I'm inspired by his journey. It's incredible. He, he admits he's had a lot of success and a lot of failure in every single role that he's had. He's done a lot of things by accident. He's done some amazing things by intention as well. And here he is saying that sometimes you just got to be empathetic. Sometimes you got to be sympathetic and you kind of got to find a balance between those two. And I want to go out there and create more change in others' lives. Well, how do they find the balance? How do they explore that? First of all, go back to what I said before. Know yourself. Become an expert in yourself. Mm. Check in on yourself because there's no balance without that understanding of yourself and yeah you know, I'll talk you know the 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 example you gave about the Buddhist and you know I've look the more that you look at people and you're looking for that the more that you understand it it's not complex is it mm -hmm. so if I was a doctor or you know a skin doctor and I was looking at you some people mightn't pick up you know the the, the small 
you know, disparity in your skin that could be a cancer, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm a skin doctor and I'm looking at it all the time, well, I see it. Is that right? You understand yeah. that? Yeah, of course. So it's not really that complex. Like if, if you've got a partner and you're really close to them and you spend a lot of time with them, okay, and you've got that, you know, that pheromones flying around, I won't go into the deep side of it, but it, and that person is off and but not saying anything, you know they're off, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. You go, what's wrong? Or if if they come in and they're like in a state of elation, you go, what the hell? What's happened? What's what's going on? You get excited with them, right? So you know, the, what you talked about, say, with there with the monk, is, is that the more you look for that and the more you understand the feeling that goes with it, it, it every single person on the planet has that capacity. Yes. Let me rephrase that. I would say 95% of people on the planet have that capacity to do that. It's just where you put your attention. But if you don't know yourself and you put all your attention into that, um, what you actually share and what you understand from that situation is coming from where? Mm. You You don't understand yourself. So how, you know, that, and I've done that as well. You know what I mean? So... It's that that's where your real ability to, to, you know, to support people helps a funny word, but to support people and give them direction is that's where that's where it can be developed is fine. Understanding yourself and then whatever you want to become an expert on, focus on it. Mm-hmm. And the more you focus on it, the better you get at it. And yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not like you need some sort of intuitive power. We all have that. You had it when you were a kid. When you were a kid, this is this is the intuitive power that you had. I'm going to hang around that person because they feel good to hang around. I'm not going anywhere near that person because they make me feel bad. Mm. That was your decision-making process as a kid. You didn't care if they had a bike or whatever you know, when, before we got all this other conditioning. So it exists in us. Yeah. But we've, we've just – we put – conditioning around ourselves in the way that we educate ourselves and the way our community is. And there's so much good stuff about it. I'm not bagging it, by the way. We just miss some important stuff in in the way that we condition our children. And that, that reminds me, when I when I heard you speak recently, uh, you referenced yourself as a gray-haired white Australian man talking about emotions, going, oh boy, don't, don't get too scared. Don't get too scared. Um, it's okay. You don't need to get worried. I mean, in our society... Why, why is there so much resistance to talk about emotions, like, especially for men? I'd imagine on both sides, but especially men. Why is there so much resistance? Well, well, when I grew up, if you said to someone, you love yourself, mate, that was an insult. Right. That was the biggest insult you could ever get in. That's true. I'm not making that up. No. And we were told emotions were weak. So I guess, you know, and, you know if, if you cry or, you know, if you, you know, whatever, that was a sign of weakness. And... There's some real strength in that because sometimes to be able to be, you know, to remove your first emotional response from a situation is a real strength that people like my background can be useful. But it also, if you know, you can't when you go through situations that genuinely upset you, you know, you can't. We would we try and numb it, but you numb one emotion and you numb them all. Mm-hmm. When you numb them all, you become disingenuous 
with the way that you express yourself. I'm so, Harry, you know, I'm so excited to be on this, this podcast. It's just, yeah, you, if I was talking like that to you, you'd go, yeah, right, eh? That's, but you know, I genuinely like the opportunity. You can tell I like the opportunity to talk about this mm-hmm. stuff. So you, you can pick that up. Well, you, with the, the emotional regulation we were taught as young men, not for, you know, when I'm not dumb, I was just never taught how, any other way. So that's where my fascination about where I know our emotional state, how we feel, I know. So I explain how the brain works and that's, you know, a lot of our emotions come from our reptilian brain and we feel it in our heart and, you know, in our body. You know, I needed to understand that because what I've done is try to numb them, mm. you know, in adversity. And it's like if I cut my leg and I ignore it, you know, it's going to fester. And if I keep ignoring it, physically, I always use physical examples, you know, it's going to get worse. And eventually I have to cut my leg off. Well, it's the same with emotions. If you try and numb them, they don't go away. They just fester. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden someone's, you know, you, you, you push stuff down that's frustration with something and you push it down and you push it down and your body goes, well, that didn't work. I need to get his attention to get this out of him. And all of a sudden... You're driving down the street, screaming out the window at you know, someone that didn't put their blinker on properly, and you go, "Well, that really made sense." <laughs> we see that happen all the time, right? Yeah, we see absolutely. people, and it's not that situation. I understand that it's not that situation that is creating that behaviour. And the biggest driver of behaviours is not what we think, but how we feel. Mm. Because we think 70,000 thoughts a day, apparently, but you're in a feeling state 24-7 the whole time you're here. So, And it's a big driver of, you know, well, you know, they're all linked. We like to separate stuff out, but they're linked. But our biggest driver of behaviors is how we feel. And so what what eventually got you to accept that? Because like you're, you're talking about you you have a cut and you've got a wound, and most people would accept that if you have a a physical wound, you're going to go to the doctor or go to the hospital, you're going to get it sorted, you're going to get some medicine, you're going to take care of it. Um, and if someone says, well, no, like, you should really get that taken care of. It's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm perfectly fine. It's like, yeah, but but it must be really painful. Yeah, it really, really hurts. But I'm fine. You don't need to worry about me. No, no, but like, you, you should go and see someone. It's really sore. But I don't need any help. I'm a, I'm a, big person i can handle this i'm strong i mean obviously that's that sounds ridiculous when you're talking about a wound like that but it's a real type of conversation that you'll often hear when people are talking about mental health well that's what they call mental health i most of the time and it's a really weird term mental health we don't say you have a physical health injury <laughs> issue do we you now you've got appendicitis or a sprained ankle or you know cut on your leg or whatever it is so I feel a lot of the stuff that they describe, you know, people don't think depressed or think anxious. Mm. It tends to be a feeling, yeah, which is what, you know, the medical terminology for it is depression is remembered threat, anxiety is imagined threat, mm-hmm. okay? So, but you tend to feel threat, yeah. okay? And that that we're, we're designed millions of years or however long we've been around as a species, we're designed that so we actually respond to it 
because we then we go, why why are we feeling well that there's a tiger over there? That's why I'm feeling it. So I need to do stuff. You know, we we we're, ne we're never taught that. I was never taught that about this is why you have emotions. So I always use this example. If you got a rock in your shoe, what do you do? You you ignore it for a long time and you just hold on to it in your shoe. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's your body, and I keep saying to people, well, your body's signal. We have an amazing thing that we hang around in, this body of ours that we live in. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't want us to experience pain. So physically, it'll send us a signal. Yes. Dude, take the rock out of your shoe. Yeah. And if, if we don't do it, it'll, you know, go, okay, well, let's make it worse. Our emotions are the same. Our, we have emotions, and sometimes we do need to push them aside in, in serious situations, but we have emotions that give us, you know, they don't very rarely, it's only acute situations where we need to go into a state of rage. Mm -hmm. All of them are helpful. Yes. You know, all of them are helpful. But, you know, what we do is we ignore them. So that slight bit of frustration, for example, or that little bit of sadness that we ignore, you know, this situation happens, I'm not feeling good about it, and we push it down. I'm not going to let anyone know I'm sad. So your body goes, well, that didn't work, just like the rock in the shoe. So let's just turn it up. We've got, we've got to address this, so we've got to get this person's attention. Mm -hmm. And that, does, that doesn't work. So that sadness goes into, you know, you know, you know moves up into depression through a whole lot of different stages. It doesn't go from the top to the bottom straight away. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that. So I had to have, you know, and I, I had to go and find out about it. The first person I ever found out about it from was from, you know, a lady called Esther Hicks that I thought was, like I remember seeing her the first time. My mate took me to it. This was, God, when was this, 2009? And she, you know, started channeling this thing. I went, oh, my God, what's going on? I need to get out of here. What am I, what's going on? Get me, Leon, what have you done to me, mate? Have you? She's never said anything that, I, that hasn't made complete sense. But then she explained the emotional guidance scale. And it, then I went off and looked in the science of it. What got your mate to bring you along to this Esther, Esther Hicks? What? Oh, he's... He owns Hay House Australia, so right. he's a, owns a publishing com company. And is that the first time that you really started looking at your emotions? Or what was the first thing that made that happen? I wish it... Uh, nah, well, the first thing that happened was I had a relationship breakdown that knocked me for six, mm. um, which was after that happened. So it was a little bit like the universe saying, well, I'm going to show you how to use these tools, dude. But it took me way too long to understand how to use them. But now that I understand, you know, the science behind emotions and, you know, how they impact us, you know, it, it does allow me to help a lot of people in these situations. Mm. I love that. And obviously you're helping people with their well-being. And then you're helping a lot of the, one of the main reasons why people come to you is not just for well-being, but they're also coming for performance. And so how do you define the link between those two? They're the same. Mm. You can't have performance without well-being, all right? And you can't have well-being without performance. <laughs> you, so I'll, I'll explain that in, in ways that people, if you want to, let's use physical well-being. Everyone understands physical well-being. Mm -hmm. Okay, if I want physical well-being, 
All right, I'm, I'm going to have I'm going to have to do things to to have that. Yeah, right. So I'm going to have to do things. So I'm going to have to perform to get that well being. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if I really want to perform well, I need to be well. <laughs> the more well I become physically, the better I be. Does that make sense? It's the same mentally. It's the same emotionally. They're linked. We like to separate things out, but to have them, you know, to have well-rounded, holistic well-being, it's, it's probably, you know, it's not the right word because it's 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 merged with performance. It's and and so my mind immediately goes to a whole bunch of highly successful competitors, athletes, like elite athletes, who have had a hell of a lot of success without a lot of well-being. And even if you talk, let's talk away from athletes for a moment, and we talk about probably some of the most famous singers and songwriters uh, in our history and some of the most amazing performers and speakers and leaders. And a lot of them have arguably exceptional performance and evidently very poor form of well-being, maybe great well-being in some areas, but in most areas, terrible. And so... It's rare imbalance Mm. put so much focus into one area of their life you know and i'll be happy when i have the number one single i'll be happy when i win a grand final i'll be happy when i own the biggest company and and then they get there and they go oh i want i need to win the next grand final i need to have the next number one hit i need to have another trillion dollars Mm -hmm. because when i get there or I'll be happy when I've got a great rig, when you can see my abs. Now we've got, we know people like this mm-hmm. and they train like anything and they get there. And so it's, they, they don't attach. There's nothing stopping you being happy right now. Mm-hmm. So why not start that way, you know, and, and have that other stuff as an outcome of it rather than the other way around. What's the, what's so, the easiest hack for people listening to just feel happy right now? What's the easiest hack that you know of? Well, I always use something like, okay, Harry, remember the best experience of your life, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to say it out loud. I just want you to remember it. I'll talk you through it. Mm -hmm. Don't start scrolling. Well, maybe one of the best five. What's the best, you know, one of the best experiences ever happened to you? Mm -hmm. Where were you? Mm -hmm. Who was there? Mm -hmm. What was going on? Mm -hmm. How did it feel? This didn't feel real good this was amazing this was just the best thing ever how did it feel locate where you're feeling that in your body now turn that feeling up harry just for a tick turn it up from a six to an eight yeah turn it up from an eight to a ten come on give me 10 seconds of 10 best thing ever come on best thing ever feels pretty incredible okay See, but you're smiling. Mm-hmm. So you just excreted serotonin. Mm-hmm. You just did that. And if you got tingles down your face and something like that when you're remembering something, all right, that's oxytocin. That's our bonding hormone. But it's also our cardiovascular hormone. So every artery and vein in your body would dilate. That's what the tingles are. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can do that by just remembering it. What were you thinking of? Can I ask you what you're thinking of? Yeah, so I was thinking of this one particular experience, which was both one of the most beautiful and most painful at the same time. It was when my grandmother passed away and I had, or she, she was diagnosed with terminal illness. And I'd done about an hour and a half or two hours of meditation trying to clear it and it just kind of didn't 
Like it just kind of wasn't working. Like I didn't, still didn't feel at ease. I managed to go and see her again. And then it was just beautiful. And that was probably one of the most beautiful moments that I've ever had uh, because I was able to just be there. There were still other people in the room and whatever. Uh, but I was, we were just able to hold hands while she was in her bed. And it was just this beautiful moment. One of the most intimate moments that I've had in my life. Like I've had lots of beautiful intimate moments. I've had a lot of love in my life from from my spouse, from my daughter, from my parents, uh, from some friends as well. It's been beautiful. But that was, that was one of the first ones just came to mind. Yeah, well, that, that, but your grandma's not there. You're not in there. Mm. And you just did that. Mm. You just elevated your serotonin and oxytocin levels yes. by just remembering it. Mm. Imagine when we're a kid, we don't have any problem with that because we can imagine things. I'm going to be a lead singer of a band. playing, And so, I mean, that's there's one really quick example of things that you can do by regulating your emotional you know, status by using your memory or your imagination. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't go into the detail. Everyone needs the bad validation, the bad news. thing called stress that we call mental health has a, a hormonal thing, you know, you know, cortisol, adrenal, noradrenaline, all these things, okay? And then we hear about, you know, adrenal fatigue and all that sort of stuff. They're amazing hormones, by the way. Mm-hmm. We're just not to, meant to do it over an extended period. Yeah. So, so the, the reason for sharing that, you know, is, is that we everyone understands the bad. So the biggest cause of death and disease, that's pretty uplifting, isn't it, on the planet, is our perception of threat. Mm-hmm. Remembered or imagined or perceived threat, not real threat. Biggest cause of death and disease, it used to be infection and trauma. It's not that anymore. You know, some of our food choices in some parts of the planet aren't great as well and the things that we do with that. So it's got to make sense that if that's the biggest cause of death and disease, surely the biggest cause of wellness, you know, and and health has to be the same thing. Instead of perceived threat, what about perceived joy, perceived elation? Mm perceived happiness and what happens is that look if you're looking to be sad or become a victim can you find the opportunity to do that yeah every moment if i wanted to so does it make sense to you that if you want to experience love elation joy you know does it make sense to you that you you can also experience that as well yeah it's the same me just a different perception of my circumstances yeah and whoever designed us has got a really sick sense of humor, Harry. <laughs> because as I said before, the joy side of things, the elation side of things, the love side of things, you know, all those emotions that lift us are far harder to access than the ones that load us. Mm-hmm. Okay? Not, none of them are bad, you know, because you're not when your grandma passed, you're not going to feel, you know, in a state of you know elation. You're going to feel sad. Okay, it's not a bad thing. Mm. You know, being angry is not bad. Because if someone's quite often a sign of injustice, mm-hmm. if someone's outside smashing windows of, of that house or my house. Well, it's just how you express anger, of course. Mm-hmm. But anger's not a bad thing. It's only bad if you stay there. So. So those positive or lifting emotions, 
that lift us, they're harder, they're harder to access. Just like being fit is. Just like being, you know, it's easier to sit and watch TV than it is to learn. You know, nothing in life of consequence is easy. Mm. Doesn't mean you can't be at ease with doing it, but it's not easy. I like that. Uh, that'll be one of those awesome segments that I'll just take out. Um, <laughs> okay, and so then, uh, like, there's there's a thing which you talk about of prevention, recovery, and leadership. Uh, and I'm curious how you incorporate all of those. Like, it, it's a very holistic approach to life, right? But prevention, recovery, and leadership, people usually see those as very individual things. And it definitely seems like you incorporate all of them almost as if they're one and the same. I'm going to tell you a secret. Oh, so the content at our leadership programs is very similar to the ones at our recovery programs mm -hmm. and also very similar to the ones at our prevention programs. Now, they're delivered in different contexts. So our leadership program, for example, there's so much stuff on the approach to leadership. There's so much stuff on the different styles of leadership. We don't do that. We the leadership programs about you and how you lead yourself because you can't give away what you don't have. Mm -hmm. The great Wayne Dyer, God rest his soul, you know, had a thing. If you want to sell orange juice, you need oranges. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you want to lead people, you've got to be able to lead yourself. You've got to understand how to do that. You've got to understand the things that enable you to inspire people not motivate people. Motivation's handy, but that's an external force. To inspire someone is an internal force. Now, if you're inspired, so if I'm a leader and can get you in a, you know, you trust me, you feel safe with me, and I can get you to buy into a, a collective vision of where we want to go, then I don't have to go, come on, Harry, you can do this, mate. You've got this. I don't have to do that. Occasionally, you need to, mm -hmm. which is, again, motivation's not bad, but it's nowhere near as powerful as inspiration. You know, the, so, yeah, and as a leader, you need to understand you know, how to actually utilise and access both. But, again, it's it comes from the same things that's going to help you recover as a person or prevent injury. The recovery from injury or prevention of injury you know, again, in the sports science world, it's a very, same, very, very, very similar approach, just slightly different context. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'd imagine in the in the sports content context, you're saying prevention obviously means you listen to your body and don't push it too hard. Recovery, I guess you've got to do just exactly the same thing in order to recover. But, yeah, but the other thing you do is lift capacities, mm. emotional, physical, and mental capacities. People talk about emotional resilience became the word for a while. Mm -hmm. But I, I'll explain to you. My physical resilience is my ability to bounce back to where I was, right? So if I get injured, I want to, I want to bounce back to what the resilience there is to bounce back to where you were, where I was. We're at work, we go on holidays for a month. My mental resilience, my ability to think, thinking, my mental resilience is to bounce back to where I was before you know, I went on holidays. I haven't gone away and studied. I've gone on holidays. So I've got to get back into the routines and the processes and, you know, activate the systems that get me back to there. 
Well, people used to talk about emotional resilience, but still do. And I've got so much respect for the techniques they've got to help people bounce back. But what happens if your capacities are low? Mm. What are you bouncing back to? So, you know, I believe that in in recovery and prevention, you want to build people's capacities. In leadership, guess what? You want to build people's capacities. Mm. You know, it's there's there's subtly different applications to them because you know leadership is about how you do that for other people. You know, in physical and mental recovery, it's more about you getting back to where you need to be. Yeah, okay. So it's the it's not just the ability of being able to maintain or quickly recover or get back to uh, where you've been or kind of the standard you've set for yourself, but it's about raising that standard so that you are living at a higher level and then you bounce back to it, right? Like on an, I'd imagine that the analogy which comes to mind is we're talking about an air conditioning unit and it has a thermostat on it and you decide to bump up the temperature from 23 degrees to 26 degrees and then that becomes your new standard. If the temperature drops too low, it, the thermostat picks it up, kicks into gear and then heats up the room back to 26. But if you keep it at 23, yep. it's only ever going to get up to 23, right? It's... I'm going to get you to edit my next book. Okay. You're on with, with, with pleasure. That would be my honor. <laughs> I, I, I um, doubt I can add anywhere near as much as you can to it. Yeah. And, and again, it's, I guess it's having that agility and, and ability to move. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, you know, you're thinking and you're feeling and what you're doing across a whole lot of different areas using simple tools. In modern life, we've just become so immersed in complexity. Mm. And everyone's forgot, you know, like get 10 minutes of sunshine directly on your face before 10. If you can do that for three weeks, it's proven scientifically your mental health will improve. Mm. 10 minutes of sunshine and learning how to breathe properly, learning about, you know, what some foods can do to you. You know, we, there's a thing called glyphosate, Roundup. You know, you know there's a thing called refined processed foods, mm. you know, vegetable oils and stuff like that. Like that, and they know. Yes, I know. I shouldn't say that out loud, but I don't care anymore. They know that it's not good for you. They also know that we don't need it either. Yes. So you know, there's a really simple. There's it's the simple things that are always the most powerful. But unfortunately, what they want to do is, you know, for you to get physically fit here, go and get all these supplements and do all this. And I'm not saying supplements are bad, but they're no use to you unless you, you know, you got your foundation right. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the same emotionally. Yeah. You know, people are using all these really high level techniques, but you can just sit there and remember like that moment with my nan you know, I can just sink into that now and it makes me feel just so amazing. That's free. Yes. It costs you nothing. You can't get the same, you know, you know, prescription, you know, prescription down at the, at the local chemist as the dosage that you just gave yourself there. Yeah. How hard was that? You don't need to close your eyes. You can do that driving your car. Imagine, um, imagine driving to work and going, 
you know what, I can, I'm going to, you know, I feel so good now, but it's going to be so amazing when my two year old, you know, and I are doing this together. Mm-hmm. How good's that going to be? You know, or I have my business is able to do these things. It doesn't matter if you're wrong, but in that moment, if you're, if you can feel that way, you know, it's the opposite of feeling stressed that's killing more people on the planet than anyone else. So why not do that? It's got to make sense. And unfortunately, what you got to do in modern life is you got to tell people the bad news because they won't. If I just said, go around and feel well and feel in a state of love and joy, people go, yeah, right, oh, mate. So you got to give them the bad news first because everyone understands the bad news. Mm-hmm. Right? They do, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Don't do it. Sit on the lounge physically. Well, there's only one result. You know what's coming, don't you? Don't expect anything else, but you know, you know, you're gonna have, you know, you, you're not, you're gonna feel bad. Is that has that been your you're experience that more people are driven or uh, motivated or inspired to move away from pain rather than towards pleasure? Yeah, yeah. When you describe it that way, but I, I always start with the bad news. Mm-hmm give people a spoiler alert because surely it's got to make sense that if the way you feel is causing all these problems, the way you feel can cause all these great things to happen as well. Just one's harder than the other. That's my saying, not my saying, I always say it. What in life of significance is easy? Yeah, nothing. It can be with ease, as you were saying. But I can't imagine yeah. everything being easy. No. So, and it's, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do in my program and the breathing and the sun and, you know, and, and how you feel and how you connect with other people, it's all free. Mm. You don't have to come back. You might have to come back and get a reminder occasionally, but it, it, it you, you're already doing it. You're already breathing right. You're already feeling right. You're already thinking, yeah? Yeah. You're already doing all these things. Just want to give you a better way of doing it. Yeah. And it's not new. It's not new. This, this, the, these things are thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Go and Google, you know, First, First Nation, you know, Indigenous people in the 50s in Arnhem Land. No F forty five up there, man. But you should see, you know, their, how well they looked. Big smiles, no Colgate. Big white smiles, and their bodies were ripped, not lean, ripped. Mm. You know, what were they doing? And if you have a look at, you know, just that culture, if you have a look at what they were doing, they were sitting, doing deep listening listening, really listening to each other. You know, they they sat with their eyes closed to, and they connected to country. Now, I can give you all the science behind what happens when you do all that stuff, but I tell people you know it because when you do it, it feels good. When you sit there and someone's listening to you and you know they're listening to you, you're not thinking of being in their head, you know, what this dude talking about, you know, and oh, I've got to, phone call I need to make it makes you feel good and it makes the person getting the information feel good you know that because it's happened to you occasionally you know, you know when you walk 
when you're a kid walking down the beach, barefoot or walking through the forest, how did it feel? Yeah, of course. It feels amazing, yeah, it feels, right? feels natural. feels connected. But it's your body. It's, just, it's the opposite to the rock in the shoe. Mm. <laughs> your body's telling you with the rock in the shoe, stop doing this. Your body, when you're walking through the bush, is saying, keep doing this. Because yeah. uh, it feels good. And that's how you're meant to feel. We, we've That's never... Sh- never shared to me as a kid or in my education. Just so you know, pay attention to yourself because you're meant to feel good. Mm-hmm. Your body will give you, if you become an expert in yourself, your body will give you 90% of the right signals that you need. And the 10% of the time or maybe the 5% of the time when you don't know how you feel or why you feel, what a great conversation it is that you can have with people that are close to you. Yeah. And the 1% that no one knows, we go and, you know, that's the clinical help that we have on the planet these days is amazing. But not in isolation. Yes. You know what I mean? It's amazing for what, what it can do for us. I am a big advocate for an integrated approach. I believe in modern medicine. I just don't believe it, it in isolation has the answers. Mm-hmm. And so... Look, I love I love everything which you're sharing, and a big part of it is ultimately uh, growing up, right? Like the the way that you can grow up to be uh, the the human that you actually want to be, or to be the type of person you want to be. And then uh, in this moment, I remembered that you were an NRL coach at uh, a whole bunch of different a whole bunch of different clubs, and a lot of the people you would have been working with or coaching would have been like just boys, right? Like just kids. And yeah. they have more fame and more money and more attention and more women and more accolades than they probably ever expected. And part of your role, I'm guessing, is you needed to help them grow up and shape them. And so what did you do then, which was a great success? What did you do then, which you said was terrible and you learned from failure just as much as you learned from awareness? And what would you do differently now? Well, I guess the first thing is, is the, and it's the same answer to both, it's about relationships. So, um, and relationships need watering. Mm. You know, and if I, you put your attention in areas outside, you know, like I wanted all the organisations to benefit and I wanted to, to be smart and do all that sort of stuff. So when you put your attention in, away from building those relationships with those. They're amazing young people, by the way. So the the whole preconceived idea about, you know, young footy players or athletes or whatever, they're just, they're young people that go to work to get it better every day. And it's a really rare environment that you go in and do that. They're young men and I used to be one. So we're not always the best decision makers, you know, that's part of, you know, our hormonal, you know, um, hereditary system that's it's all there that's the way we're wired and they're risk takers as well but they're amazing people mm-hmm. they're amazing people but you've got to water relationships so when I got the easiest way of saying that is I stopped watering those relationships and if you do that you know even with your own kids you do that with people that 
you know, that you, for example, there's people that you might have gone to school with that you're friends with, but you're no longer in contact with. Because that knows what happens is not because they don't hate you, but those relationships are just gone in different directions. Well, I, I did that. I made, you know, the, for all the right intentions of wanting to make an organisation better, for wanting to really make sure all the systems and stuff, that wasn't my job. My job was to coach the team. Mm. But, you know, I, I recognised there were some flaws and I put my attention there. And, you know, what happens is that you dilute relationships so the relationships everywhere diminished. So you've got to understand where your key relationships are particularly in high-performance environments where, you know, it's 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 a crucial, no, no, not crucial, it is the key element behind everything. Not how smart you are, not what you know, but, you know, having a relationship of trust where people feel safe and believe in what, you know, in the direction you're taking them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because there were, once again, I've, I've never really followed fully, but my, my understanding is probably one of the reasons why I didn't follow it for quite a while uh, is just because I saw the the key people who were getting all the tries, scoring all the goals. They were the, the most famous of them. They were the ones getting the most accolades. They were also the ones who were getting into punch-ups, either on the field or off the field as well. And Yeah, the, the violence has definitely diminished a lot, mm -hmm. though. Yeah. It's not there anymore. Yeah. But that was, again... You're playing a contact sport, you know, so and those emotions that we talked about, you know, are hard to regulate. You know, again, if you get in a situation where you feel threat and your adrenal glands and cortisol are pumping through your body, you know, sometimes your responses aren't always going to be, you know, be constructive. You know, and a lot of the stuff that happens off the field that they, you know, they talk about their behavior is, yeah, if it was someone else that you know, that one they're not as highly paid as people rattle on about. You know, they have a sh most careers last forty games. So if you work out, you know, there's not one NRL player, for example, you know, our highest, you know, player that's retired now has played over four hundred games and was a, probably one of the best players ever. He still has to work. Mm. So you know, we're not like the NFL or you know, or other sports in other countries, our, our players aren't at that status yet. So, and, but unfortunately, the reality of it, and I shouldn't even say unfortunately, the reality of it is, is that a part of what they like to attach to sport is like days of our lives. So there was a barbecue that happened last year in COVID where players broke, you know, COVID protocols, did the wrong thing. But if that was a CEO of a bank, you would have never heard of him. You know what I mean? It's just that people are interested in the controversy around it. And that's the way our media and that's the way our modern life is constructed. We like controversy. Well, I'm not going to say we do, but there's a lot of, that's how media outlets get people's attention to read their papers or watch their shows. Yeah, okay. And I, I agree with all of that. I, I pretty much stopped reading the news except for anything rel related to finance because I kind of have to do that. Um, but what I what I am really curious about, so that that's kind of turning 
boys into men by by building relationships, watering those relationships and and really building up the trust and safety. Uh, I'm really curious about parenting. Father of father of four, yeah. grandfather now as well. And you've you've spoken about like earlier on you spoke about how you've had wonderful successes in parenting, uh, great achievements, and you've also had great failures as well. What do you what are you able or willing to share to all the all of the young parents, especially dads who are listening, uh, in order for them to be able to learn from your experience? Yeah, I shouldn't say I've had failures there, but I guess you know I just feel like you know I, I've dragged my kids to England, to New Zealand, and different places in Australia, so they, they've never really had that. But they they all love the fact that they've had that upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I guess they had a dad that was absent at times, mm-hmm. you know, because what I'd framed as success, remember we started this with that success, I'd framed all my success and there was a preconceived idea that you had to be, you know, I would be at work from 5.30 to, you know, late at night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I talked about those relationships, they're obviously diluted, but, I, you know, I'm, it's it's easy. The answer to that is easy to answer. It's not always easy to do. Is is you know, there's nothing better than being a parent. There's nothing better than loving your kids. So you know, get your balance right and make sure that you don't get in their way. I see that a little bit more often in my life. Where and I made the same mistake as a parent. Probably did too much for them in some ways, um, rather than allowing. But you know they're all young independent you know women now um which is really cool to see um yeah trust love just you know love them but understand you know if you yeah i I know trust yourself that's my big thing is is that we i talked about trust trust can't you can't ask for trust right you've either got to earn it or give it there's only two things that there's only a two-way street with trust, but you can learn to trust yourself. And the more that, you know, go back to what I said, if you become an expert in yourself and you trust yourself, and if I did that a little better, I would have gone, you know what? She needs to do that one her own. She doesn't need my help because it's going to be more helpful for her if she does do it on her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but because I hadn't put enough time into thinking about it, and I was, a young, I was a dad at 23, right? So I was a young dad. Um, and, you know, I had two daughters by the age of, you know, 24 and a bit. So, um, um, you know, I, I probably didn't overthink the role of being a parent, which was really beneficial for them mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. We had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, my kids came everywhere with me. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a babysitter dad. We, we, if we were going out, we'd take our kids with us. So there were probably some things, you know, that, yeah, that, you know, I would have done differently, but that's part, you know, mistakes are part of what you show up to. But the big thing is that become an expert in yourself and you'll become an expert in your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The same as what you said about leadership, the same as what you said about yeah. uh, performance yeah. and achieving goals or, your fitness and your health, yeah. everything. Yeah, but that's just more important mm. in my, uh, that's my feeling. That's how I trust myself mm-hmm. because we, you know, what you do find out is when your kids hit adversity, 
that's not the best. That's the worst experience. Yeah, I'd rather have my own adversity than my kids have adversity. Mm. Although, that's although so it sounds like what what you'd rather do is teach them the skills to be at ease with that adversity, because we go through the adversity, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, harder to do. <laughs> Again, say I'm getting repetitive here, aren't we? Easier to say, hard to do. Mm. Um, yeah, there's something also instinctual attached to that. You know, any of my kids have any adversity, I don't. It, it, it probably impacts me more than it does my own, you know, my own challenges. Mm. Uh, Should, but it does. No, I, I hear you there. I had this amazing conversation with someone named Michael Ray, who was on another earlier episode as well. And he, he, he became a solo dad un, unexpectedly when his daughter was two years old. And he, he said that one of the hardest things he's got to do is just let his daughter make her own decisions. Uh, he can ask her questions about it. He can challenge her on it. He can let her know that, he wouldn't be making those decisions himself. Uh, you want to climb the tree? Okay. And what's what's your plan? How are you going to do it? You can do it if you want. I'm not going to stop you. But how are you going to? And then I guess that that kind of just builds up over time. But man, that's that's tough. I I, I still struggle with my two and a half year old. She climbs up. I've I've got a I've got a firm rule with her, which is that if if you climb up somewhere and you get stuck you got to get yourself down. You climbed up, you get yourself back down. Um, which means that she's a little bit more cautious to climb up places. But if she goes down, she'll start whinging a little bit, but then she's able to regulate a bit better because it's not the first time she's gotten stuck and no one's coming to help her, right? Well, I'm going to say you're a better dad than I was. No, I, I couldn't believe that. Um, there, there, there is something which you, which you shared, though, when we, when we last spoke. And... You were putting this emphasis on you changing the vibe in the room and I guess a sense of autonomy and a sense of responsibility and ownership of the circumstances. Do you want to chat a bit about that? Because I'm sure that anyone who's listening would, would value from hearing it. Yeah, I guess we forget about that. Again, there's that victim statehood is, is that sometimes we feel a certain way. Like, so I did that for a reason. I didn't plan to do that. And I, I kind of looked in retrospect because I would have liked to finish to getting everyone running on the spot and screaming at the roof. That would have been fun <laughs> too. Um, um, but it, I was on last, right? It was five o'clock and a lot of people in that room had been sitting there here listening to people talk all mm -hmm. day. So I knew I needed to change people's state. And one of the things that we can do that is just by how we, you know, if, I've been sitting down here for a while now. If I get up and walk around and we're having this conversation and someone was filming us walking down the street, our state would change. The way we feel would change, yeah? Yeah. So, uh, and I, again, back to simple things. You know, it's so often, let's, let's take leadership as an example here. So often people have hard conversations sitting opposite each other at a desk, yeah? Whereas if you go with someone, let's just go for a walk. Let's get outside and go for a walk. And, you know, there's sun on your face and you're walking down the street side by side. And you have a difficult conversation, the state is completely different. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily have to be associated to what you do physically. But I just wanted people to sh to understand how simple it is to change their state. 
Like you changed your state before when I said, remember this great moment, right? You know, and, but you can also do that physically by getting up and, and, and taking charge of yourself. And we have so many things where we can fall. What if I was sitting there during the day and I wanted to, like, I really wanted, I was doing deep listening and I was listening to this person. I just stood up in the middle of the room. We're not used to that because we, we've got to conform. Someone behind you, mate, you need to sit down. So there's, yeah. And I, th I think, yeah, the, the big message in this is that you don't have complete control of your state, right? I could prove that you don't because I'll put you out in a, on the street in front of a car and that would certainly prove that you don't have, but you have most control of your state. You have most control of how you feel. You have most control over what you think. You have most control over what you do. Not total, but we're talking the rule rather than the exception, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So get in charge of the rule. Get in charge of your state and take control of it. You know, people complain so much all the time. You know, and they don't take responsibility. They, they, it's this person's fault I feel this way. And it's someone's fault that I look this way. And it's someone else's fault that I feel this way. And I think this, no, take responsibility for your own state. Because mm -hmm. even if that there is a person that's your dad making you climb up things and not getting you down, or, you know, or someone you work with or, you know, environments that you live in, you know, may well have to do with what we talked about earlier, where people live in poverty and they don't get to, they don't get to go to, to a supermarket and choose what food they eat. They just get what they're mm -hmm. given. Okay. But most of the time, you, you know, particularly in our community, we have an opportunity to make decisions about what we, what we, how we feel, how we think and what we do. But we surrender that because we blame and we use fault and it, it just doesn't work. Just as soon as I blame you for something, Harry, okay, I've got no power to do anything about it because it's it's not my fault. It's yours, mm. and I can't do anything about it. If I could find a way to take two percent responsibility, I've immediately empowered myself that I might be able to build that up to five, and in a week's time, I might be able to make that twenty percent my responsibility and that grows. So I have power over my state. And, and so, I guess when yeah. people talk about things like trauma, it can become quite challenging to accept responsibility for what someone has done to them in the past. But I guess that conversation just gets reframed towards the future. Like, what can you do now? What can you do next week? Is, is that where it goes? Yeah. Well, first of all, we do know this in life that the rewind button doesn't mm -hmm. work. You know, I've pressed it plenty of times and it doesn't the work. batteries must be out. So that doesn't mean, again, the memory of or the recollection of what happened goes away. You know, and sometimes, and that's, you know, that's not always easy to reframe. But what we do need to do is understand where are you now? Where are you now? Let's really be, become an expert in you. Where do you want to get to? So tell me how you want to be and how do we get to from where you are to where you want to get to? What's the roadmap there? And then we can start to work on it. 
does that mean yeah you're not going to have a scar no you're going to have a scar if it was you know if it was traumatic is there opportunities in that trauma that could make you a better person that's not all the answer to that is not always yes you know <laughs> uh, for some people it's definitely not always yes but it's a question that needs to be answered because then you build that awareness in yourself, that understanding of yourself. Yeah, there's clinical sides of this that you definitely need to get clinical support. But then once you work out how you want to feel and how you want to think and what you want to do, you, know, you can work on the, the practical sides of things of working in that direction. That doesn't mean you don't, you know, I always use the example, I'm, I'm my background sports science, you come to me with a swollen ankle I don't say, okay, Harry, what we're going to do is we're going to recover you quickly by doing this, this or that. I go, mate, go to the doctor, get a scan. The doctor will do a scan and say, okay, Harry, you're going to be out for six to eight weeks. You're going to have to put a boot on and come back and see me in six weeks' time. And he's going to tell you, you know, you've got you know, a torn ligament or whatever it may be. When you come back to me and you've had that diagnosis and we know what it is, then I know what I'm working with. I, I know that I can make you recover quicker. Okay, it happens all the time in the sporting world. And there's things that we can do around treatment and that's that high-performance approach that we give people access to. So it's the same for me on the emotional and mental side. Go on, first of all, go to a clinician that you trust and make sure you understand what you're dealing with. <laughs> because if, you know, some people do come to me and, say, I think I've got this or that, and I go, um, I can't help you. You need to go away, get the right clinical support, come back, and then once we know what we're dealing with, you know, then I can I can support you because I understand it as well. And yeah, so it's if it's PTSD as opposed to depression, as opposed to other conditions, it does slightly alter the practical things that we use. Mm. I use particularly in, in that area. I love that. It's like going out, get a diagnosis, and then once you know what the what the challenge is, it's like I, I think about that in terms of coaching because I coach a whole lot of clients, and there are some yeah. clients where I'm going to say go see a psychologist or a therapist or a psychotherapist or something, go and go and reflect on that because they just simply don't have much of an idea of what's impacting their life or what's impacting their decisions. They're struggling with it. Uh, but then you have people who are saying, "Yeah, I've, I've always been, uh, I've always been an overachiever or hyperachiever." It's because my dad just kind of instilled it in me from when I was a young age, and that's just how I always was. And I thought that I just needed that from external. I recognize that now, and I know that's not how I need to be. So I want to focus on that and overcome it. <laughs> okay, cool. Like if that person goes to the therapist, they're just going to rehash the past, and then they're going to identify the same thing. Yeah, it's a, it's such a, again, it's such an individual one and it doesn't, you know, it's really interesting. They've done all research on this, you know, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor, you know, all these different roles, it, what they've worked out is one's not better than the other. They'd all disagree with me, but yeah, you know, just on who you trust. And a lot of the times, and I've, I was really resistant to doing it. And I, you know, I, I did it around a certain situation and um, just the opportunity to talk to someone, 
you know, because when you talk to friends or family, it's like, aren't you better yet? <laughs> you know what I mean? How you get, How long is this going for? But when you talk to that person, there's no, you know, it's, it's an unloading, yes. you know, and there's no, there's no real, you know, real history attached to it or even future attached to it. That, that was my experience of it is you just got the opportunity to express stuff and then you start to go, oh, okay, well, you know, I, I didn't really understand that. You got to trust that person, of course. Yeah, of course. And so you just mentioned that term future and I've, I've been, I've had this question in the back of my mind for probably about 20 minutes now. What, what does the, <laughs> what does the future hold for you? What's, what's next for Matt? Um, you know, I, I've been really lucky. I worked in radio for the last seven years, just on ABC doing sports commentary. And obviously I, you know, we met through me doing a public speaking gig and I really, I really love, you know, the, the recovery preventative and leadership space. Um, and you know, I really enjoy being environments in environments where you can share stuff that can help people have a better life, find a better way, not the best way, just the better way. So I'm still in the sporting environment. I still work, you know, at a sporting club as a leadership and culture and mindset development person. But I think, you know, my business, is an events-based business, the change room. And it was obviously during COVID, you know, we were able to keep all our staff on, which is probably myself and my business partner's biggest achievement. It was really tough to do that. Um, but now that we're, you know, we're getting a chance to go back and provide our preventative and recovery and leadership services, um, you know, I'm really excited about spending more time in that environment. And, you know, the, the, th the reason I love it so much is, is that, yeah, we do and we've got you know, really good results in helping people get better, but it's, it's just you learn so much. Every, per every group that you present to, you just learn so much. Again, you become more expert in yourself, so it allows you to share more information. So, yeah, I, yeah every environment I, I go into in that, those circumstances is something different. Very, I don't, can't think of any time I've gone around. I didn't, didn't really pull anything out of that at all. Mm. So that that you know, so that was my long-winded way of saying I just want to get back into doing what my business does, and and you know, probably doing a, a few more public speaking you know opportunities as well, which you know I really enjoy. You know, I do a lot of leadership stuff and stuff with big companies. So, but that at the wellness you know festival. Um, that was fun. I like that stuff. Yeah, I could, I could tell. You're in your element. You're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. 13 minutes of fun. <laughs> I mean, well, what's, uh, like you wrote, you wrote a book, and I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that as well, The Change Room. And you just mentioned you're about to yeah. write another book as well, or you're in the process of it. Um, what, was, what was the focus of your book? For anyone who kind of wants to hear the cliff notes and maybe be inspired to to go and get the change room, what? Yeah, the, the change room's just out actually. So I wrote my first book, started writing it. Oh God, in two thousand and nine. So it took a while to get it. <laughs> I wrote one book was just it was about this thick and just full of information. Now the change room's about a two night read, and it's really about what we've discussed. Mm -hmm. It's a book full of tools. And things that you can do and you utilize in your life 
So it's as practical as possible based on those high performance approaches. And I, it's around what, what we call the eight foundations. Um, and I'll go through them really quickly. But it's a two-night read and it's a book where you can go back. I just need to read that chapter about the breathing stuff or what was the stuff on diet or the emotion, developing emotional capacities. So it's all sort of practical based. So the change room, which is the name of the business, has got a few metaphorical names. Well, it's sorry, a few metaphors that, that go with the name, sorry. Because in sporting change rooms, you don't go there and just change your clothes. You actually transform the way that you have to be. You know, Kathy Freeman, as I always say, she didn't wear that suit and sprint down to the the, the, the Olympic room and, and then run out on the field. She went there and changed. You know, performers, bands go in there and they don't go down the street doing this. They go there and they transform. Footy players can't put their shoulder into people in Woolworths, right? They go there and they transform. So it's it's kind of a place of transformation. And that's what I want to make the book is, is there's just little things that you can do to transform, you know, your life in, in how you feel, how you think, um, how you breathe, how you sleep, how you move, how you exercise. Moving and exercise aren't the same and how you eat and then how you connect to other people. So the books are, you know, just little tips. Like we just said before, you know, like getting 10 minutes of sun before 10 to improve your well-being. So they're really simple tips that you can use in your life. And I would hate for anyone to read the book and say, I'm going to use all these tips because it's just way too much. You've got to find your breaking point. You know, so Harry, if you sleep better, you'll probably get up in the morning you know, with more energy and make more mental clarity and make better decisions around what you eat. So, you, you know, you don't have to do all those things. You can just work on your sleep. For some people, their breaking point might be diet. Other people, it might be the emotional capacity stuff. So it's just giving people breaking points to, to have a better life. Amazing. Yeah, cool. And so, I mean, if that's taken you 13 years to write that book, uh, what what's the next book going to be about in another thirteen years? <laughs> Hopefully not thirteen years yeah, the, away. The next? No, no, it only took that long because I well, the first one I wrote, which was called Beer Wine Spirit. Um, yeah, I've still got it here somewhere. I just, I read it; it was so bad. This one's easier to read, and you know, I've I've had my youngest daughter read it, and a few other friends read it, so I wanted some. And none of them took more than two nights to get through it. Beautiful. Um, and so it's, yeah, well, I wanted to, just wanted to see how long it took. And I had some people got through it in one night. I had one mate that took a bit longer, but he only sort of read it really slowly. So um, the next book, I haven't got a name for it yet, but it's, you know, based on your physical, mental, and emotional um, and energetic capacities. So energy, some people call it spirit, some people call it religion. I haven't come up with a name for it, but then I've got, and those four things will be then split into three sections, your past, your present, and your future. So, and how the relevance of all those things, you know, in each of those areas. So it's, I've got the context of it and I've sort of mapped it all out. So I've just, yeah, just got to, I've, I've written a whole lot 
right through the past, the present and the future and the emotional side of things. So I just got to do the physical and the mental. Exciting. Now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's 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 just fun to do, really. Yeah. I journal all the time. I've got books full of writing all over the place. So but, I just like to get stuff well, out. It definitely paper. sounds, I think you've alluded to it a few times. The more you teach, the more you share, the more you do internal reflection, the more you're becoming an yeah. expert on yourself. Yeah. And the great thing about becoming an expert on yourself, which is like the external world as well, it doesn't mean you ignore the external world. It's infinite what you can learn. You're never in your whole lifetime going to learn everything about yourself, which is pretty cool, right? So it never gets boring. Yeah. So because you change, you've got evidence that you change. You've got photo evidence. But in the last, you know, 15 seconds, apparently, you know, 15 trillion molecules just pass through your body. So you're still changing. You know what I mean? But you've got evidence of that, as I said. You, know, you look at a photo of yourself 10 years ago and, you know, you're not the same. So you're changing all the time, which is kind of fun. Otherwise, life would be super boring. And that, that's what you, that's what you said right in the beginning, right? Uh, what all, where you were talking about how it's not static, it'd be boring if it was. Uh, what, what, I'll, yeah. what I'll do now is I'll kind of just feed back some of the things which I heard you share, ultimately. And then you let me know if I was off on some of them, if it's bang on, if I missed something out, you let me know. And then you can yeah. share any other message that you want to share with people who are listening. So sure. when we're chatting about your definitions of success, we were saying, well, it's not static, it evolves. Uh, it used to be external and winning things and this kind of just, you know, it makes it makes life fun by not keeping it the same. Otherwise, it would be sad yeah. to ultimately just achieve something and just not be content because you just, what's next, what's next? I'll be, I'll be happy when. And then you said that your definition yeah. now is more about just being at ease. Not that things need to be easy because that's not successful, but being at ease with who I am, at ease with handling adversity and receiving wealth and uh, receiving excess, just uh, success and just kind of being at ease with it. And you can just ask people why, 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 why? And ultimately, they're just going to say, I just want to be happy. Okay, well, let's focus there. Let's see what's actually going to be most happy it was going to help you be most happy and that's kind of links into focusing more on goals uh rather than rather than yeah. avoiding the suffering let's say what you actually want out of it rather than just focusing on what's crap you you shared how you had an extraordinary childhood you grew up isolated suburb you love sport you love nature you loved hanging out with people you always wanted to help people you ended up being a youth worker you're going to be working in schools you ended up by in cricket by accident, then footy by accident, and then a coach by accident, and you were fired by accident, you worked in media by accident, and everything you you stumbled upon uh, Chopra's work by accident. And then finally, you intentionally started the change room. And that was basically just giving access to all of this woo woo stuff you found by accident uh, in a in a uh, a form that people could accept it. So the high performance versus human performance, I think you said. And so you shared that you've been a great leader and a terrible one. And all, all of the, all of the time was with the same positive intent and that you can learn from awareness. Uh, don't touch the stove or from failure, touch the stove and then you fail. Right. 
and we spoke about balancing empathy out with sympathy and ultimately you need both but primarily you need awareness of yourself because that's where your balance is going to come from and there's this stereotype of how emotions are weak and pretty much most people will teach that like if you're if you're crying when you're sad at work well that that must be a weakness like who who would cry and who would be so vulnerable they just can't handle their emotions obviously and so we will just kind of numb the emotions and then we'll numb both the lower ones and the higher ones. And we never actually experience, we never allow it to kind of pass through us. And we miss out on all of these beautiful experiences, even if we're just driving. And as, as you mentioned, and just being able to think of something, was just a beautiful moment. Or you were talking about uh, remembered threats versus perceived threats with depression versus anxiety. And I, 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 think i heard you also say that you can also do the same thing with the positive emotions you can have remembered joy versus imagined joy and so you were you're talking about how we feel threat we don't ever think threat we feel our emotions we don't ever think our emotions and they they usually come first and you said that well-being and performance they they can't uh they can't not coexist they can't exist in isolation and so they ultimately just need balance. You, you shared that hack of how to start finding that balance and bringing more of the well-being in. And that was just remember a, a beautiful moment where everything was wonderful. Imagine where you were, the experience you were in, the, the people that you were around, uh, your, like your environment and what actually happened and feel it wherever it is in your body and turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. And it was it's a beautiful exercise and it's such an easy hack that anyone can do if they're open to it. And when, when you apply that, it, you, you then basically said it's the same thing that you can use for prevention, recovery, and leadership. Because what inspires people is your internal force. And we, you spoke about resilience and then you also spoke about capacity. So resilience bringing back to where you are. Capacity is just taking it another step further. And then you definitely fo uh, focus a lot about um, relationships need watering. And it reminded me of the analogy of uh, grass grows, uh, the grass is always better where you water it, as opposed to grass is always better on the other side. It's better where you water it. And you are watering key relationships rather than just diluting them and focusing on trust, safety, and believing in them and helping them believe in themselves. We spoke about parenting. We spoke about your capacity to be able to change the vibe in the room and ultimately your responsibility to uh, control the controllables of your emotions and your experience of life and to, whenever you can, find the opportunities in drama. You spoke about those eight foundations. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I apologize. Uh, but they were basically just key areas in your life which you got to keep focusing on and keeping them balanced and keeping them all high in order to be able to improve your overall well-being and therefore performance, right? And the, the thing which I really love about what you shared prob probably speaks a lot to your personality uh, or just as much to your personality as it does to your experience, uh, which is that you keep learning through teaching. Some people learn by listening and watching from afar and trying it in their own lives, and you keep learning by... Uh, teaching it to others because then you become more of an expert in yourself that that's kind of the the core messages which i've heard from you throughout this conversation 
Is there anything which you want to add to? Is there anything which I've missed? If there, is there anything which you want to correct? No, I think no, that you, you nailed it again, Harry. You really did. And yeah, I, I guess you know, the, the key thing that I've I always like to, to say to people is, is that, you know, you're meant to feel good because you deserve it. And it's so hard to admit that, you know, people have a lot of trouble admitting that to themselves. I actually deserve to feel good. And that's what the majority of the human experience is meant to be. You know, and we've been a little bit conditioned away from that. And particularly in modern life where there's so much stimulation going on, that it's, yeah, balance the balancing act is super difficult. Yeah, okay. I love that. So to anyone who's listening, check out the change room, the book, the website, all of that jazz. Uh, it's I I can imagine that the book is transformative and I can imagine a lot of the uh, the um, the platform which you have in the business, the change room, can be quite transform transformative as well in all of those experiences. So that's that's quite exciting and thank you for spending your time to to share your message and to share your learnings and your experiences with the world and to whomever ends up listening to it thank you matt i hope you enjoyed this episode of success with purpose and i also hope that you feel capable to apply some of the perspectives and learnings from this episode in your own life if you enjoyed this conversation be sure to like and subscribe below and until next time live with purpose